Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Today I had on Bill Burns. He is a very famous UFOologist. I don't even know if that's a term. I think it is. Um, this interview is fantastic. Super interesting. Obviously some woo-woo thrown in there. Uh, if it's not up your alley, that's okay. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think most of you guys will. I learned a lot about uh, the history of presidents and their interactions in their own writing, in their own words, with uh, extraterrestrial life forms. And it was fascinating. So if you've never heard any of these stories, uh, I think it's worth worth diving in. Take it with a grain of salt, but uh, there's some truth there too. It really is. Um, before I do that, I wanted to do a little go around the world because we focus so much on American politics and I'll still, you know, sprinkle in some American coverage, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Australia, a little bit about Canada, a um, little bit more about Ukraine, and uh, and then we'll get into the aliens. What a fun, what a fun little trip around the, the planet, huh? And into the universe, into the stars. So before we do that, I wanted to read to you from the U.S. Department of State. It was a statement by Ambassador Pamela Hamamoto, World Health Organization, fourth meeting of the Intergovernmental Negotiating Body. That's the INB. This is straight from the Department of State uh, website, state.gov. They say, and the reason I'm reading this, just so you know, is because there's been a lot of conversation about giving up basically our sovereignty during the next pandemic to the UN, which you might note, both unconstitutional and insane. <laughs> so I think it's a it's important that we're aware that this is something that they're talking about seriously. Um, so let's let's see what this one has to say. In the years since its full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Russia has killed tens of thousands of Ukrainian men, women, and children, uprooted more than 13 million people from their homes, and bombed more than 700 hospitals. Wait, wait, wait. This is this is about pandemic treaties why are we starting off talking about ukraine i don't know let's let's see if, they, if there's a tie-in the u.s joins others in condemning russia's unprovoked unjustified war against ukraine we continue to stand with ukrainian people and call for a just and durable peace in accordance with the u.n charter once again unprovoked unjustified look you can say it's unjustified but you can't say it's unprovoked we've already covered that continuing on the United States is committed to the pandemic accord to form a major component of the global health architecture for generations to come. Shared commitment, shared aspirations, and shared responsibilities will vastly improve our system for preventing, preparing for, and responding to future pandemic emergencies. We seek a pandemic accord that builds capacities, reduces pandemic threats posed by zoonotic diseases. Well, looks like COVID wasn't zoonotic, but I guess that doesn't matter. Continuing on, enables rapid and more equitable responses and establishes sustainable financing, sustainable, keyword, communist, governance and accountability to ultimately break the cycle of panic and neglect. I love it. Sustainable governance. There you go. ESG. It's right in there. Uh, there is a lot to build on in this draft related to these priorities. However, the draft is unbalanced toward response at the expense of prevention and preparedness. While we need to avoid duplicating substantive elements contained in the IHR, such as surveillance and alerts, we need to discuss how best to address pandemic prevention and pre preparedness here. These efforts should be mutually supportive and complementary. 
We appreciate the focus on equity in Chapter 3, but also agree it must be better integrated across the draft. Our work must be inclusive, communist, and applicable for the improved health and well-being of all people. Globalist. A commitment to equity must address inequities, not only between countries, but also within them. Got to include the equity in there. Communists, uh, not just protecting populations from pandemics, but also from illness, death, and disrupted access to essential health care services during pandemics, including sexual and reproductive health services. <laughs> what that has to do with the pandemics, I don't know. But you got to include Plan B pills for some reason. Uh, we must also recognize the roles of other international organizations and instruments. WTO is the most appropriate venue for discussions regarding legal obligations that fall under its own agreements, including discussions on the TRIPS agreement. We do not support common but differential responsibilities and capabilities. This concept is not appropriate in the context of pandemic PPR. We look forward to seeking common ground to best ensure universal application while also ensuring capacities are strengthened so that countries can meet their obligations. We recognize the important role of financing. There comes the World Bank, IMF. And while we have concerns about some of the language in the draft, including specific allocations of domestic budgets or GDP, we seek to identify financing methods for this accord. Yeah, hand out. Hand out. Give me money. External stakeholder involvement is critical. At stakeholder, there you go. Communist, ESG. Involvement is critical as a stronger PPR architecture will depend on their expertise and commitment. The INB should encourage inclusive communist solutions that leverage key stakeholders, ESG, such as the private sector and civil society. Private sector and civil society, fascism. Finally, the pandemic accord must stand the test of time while building on the lessons from previous pandemics by creating solutions that are flexible and adaptable by laying out commitments that are clear regarding triggers and responsibilities, and by strengthening coordination and capacities, together we can build a stronger global health architecture for all. That's the end of it. Man, <clears throat> I think that the, the key point to make in all this, well, one, obviously, we need to stand tall against any, any relinquishing of our national sovereignty to these absolute lunatics. Um, but the other reason I wanted to read it to you is because if you, once you start to like understand this stuff, how I do, and I think most of you guys do, um, it's really remarkable how all of the buzzwords and catchphrases come straight from the ESG world and the, the woke HR world. It's like, they're all, it's like, they all speak the same language which I guess makes sense. They probably all go to the same colleges. They all go to the same cocktail parties and they all watch the same news media and movies and they just basically become clones of one another. But like, they're so disconnected from us, you know, the, the average people that it really becomes stark, you know, like it, once you understand the buzzwords and you're able to identify them for what they are, it's like, Wow, I don't want I don't want you guys in control of anything. <laughs> like nothing at all. I don't want you to have any power, any say over how I live my life. And then on top of that, I mean, they were just entrusted with dealing with this global pandemic and they failed miserably and they lied through their teeth about everything. And in fact, the WHO was the ones that were responsible for putting Peter Dazak of EcoHealth Alliance in charge of 
looking into the Wuhan Institute of Virology for the origin. Um, so yeah, they're also corrupt and I would argue criminal and probably criminally liable for the death of God knows how many people. So you want to give up your national sovereignty to these people who have already failed in addressing a pandemic, a pandemic they most likely created. And, uh, we're going to just be like, yeah, you, we don't have a constitution anymore. Whatever you guys say we'll do. No, thank you. Not going to do that. <laughs> what, what, like, do, why do I even have to address these people? In fact, we shouldn't address them. Yeah, fuck you, huh? No, we're not, we're not listening to you anymore. Goodness gracious. All right. Let's get into uh, Canada because we haven't talked Canada in a while. Jagmeet Singh. He's one of the scumbag politicians in Canada talking about the trucker convoy. But the organizers, the central organizers, made it very clear what their goal was. Their goal was to overthrow the government. They didn't hide that. They stated it very boldly on a website. They've repeated it in, in numerous press conferences. They wanted to overthrow a dem democratically elected government with a committee of their own choosing. I mean, it was very clear what their goal was. And the fact that policing... And other levels, other security forces were colluding with these folks is deeply concerning. Like their goal was not uh, an innocuous goal. Their goal was to overthrow government. I mean, it's it's so remarkable. I mean, first off, I don't buy that assertion at all. I think the vast majority of the people involved were just interested in getting Trudeau to lift the emergency declarations and to allow them to go back to living a quasi-free lifestyle. However, uh, call me a radical. I'm of the opinion that uh, you should have every right in the world to... Oops, let's shut down these lights here. Sorry about that. Uh, you should have every right in the world when your government becomes overtly tyrannical to peacefully protest and demand that your leadership step step down. Like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a peaceful protest, which it was entirely, until the cops came in and beat the hell out of people? What's wrong with saying, hey, yeah, you were democratically elected and you've lost your mind and you're abusing the hell out of us, so we'd like to see you step down. And we're going to stay in these frigid-ass streets until you do so. Seems like a pretty noble and honorable and peaceful way of asking the government to address your grievances. Grievances which were extraordinarily justifiable. But contrary to all that, they are, you know, terrorists. Which, I might add, he included in there that some of the cops were on board with it. They were down with the Freedom Convoy. Which should tell you something. If the cops are saying... Yeah, well, I know it's my job to beat the hell out of you guys, but I actually agree with what you're standing up for. Do the politicians who represent the people care at all? Do they care at all that not just their peasants, but also their popo are disturbed by the trajectory of things so much so that they're actually willing to dedicate weeks of their life to stand out in the freezing cold and risk criminal charges and risk their bank accounts being seized and frozen. Do you care? Is it worth hearing them out, maybe? No. Let's just label them terrorists and throw away the key and seize their assets and ruin their lives. Very noble. I can't imagine why they wanted to see you guys thrown out of office. 
fascinating. Can't figure it out. Um, and speaking of frozen assets, let's hear what uh, Miss Christia Freeland has to say about uh, the Emergencies Act. Um, yeah. So look, when it comes to the financial measures, I'm sorry, the audio is a little bit quiet. I've got it boosted as much as I can. I think the most important thing uh, to start with is, as the Prime Minister just said, Justice Rulo's conclusion, which was, and I'm going to read it, um, it was a powerful tool to discourage participation and to incentivize protesters to leave. A powerful tool to incentivize cooperation and encourage protesters to leave. What a, what a flowery way of describing tyranny. I am satisfied that it played a meaningful role in shrinking the footprint of the protests and in doing so made a meaningful contribution to resolving the public order emergency. Uh, Trudeau is standing right behind her, piece of shit that he is, just nodding so, so gleeful that they got some asshole judge to agree with them. Uh, oh, God, I've got a lot to say. Let's just keep listening for a minute. That is his broad conclusion on the economic measures. It's what we believed at the time. And I'm really glad that having looked at this so carefully, Justice Rouleau agrees. By the way, Justice Rouleau did say that it was an extraordinarily dangerous thing to do. Um, I, what I find fascinating about this is that they're essentially saying that because it worked, because they ruined these people's lives and scared the shit out of them and they ultimately broke the backs of the protests, that that's in some way demonstrative of the value of the emergency act that you utilize to become tyrants. What a, what a weird, like hindsight justifying your evil way of looking at things. I would also add that what was so important for us in putting in place these economic measures was our overriding objective, of course, was to end the illegal blockades and occupation. It was to do so without violence. But you were violent. By the way, what do you call it when you steal people's money? Oh, well, we didn't actually hold a gun to their head. We just held a metaphorical gun to the heads of their banks and made them freeze their assets. These people are so evil. By the way, both of them World Economic Forum, young global leaders, mind you. Without anyone being hurt. And the economic measures were a tool that really helped make that happen. On the specific question about unfreezing accounts, Justice Rulo also points out a couple of things. He points out that on February 21st, an order issued a statement from the RCMP effectively instructed that all accounts be unfrozen. Of course, when the measures were lifted on February 23rd, they were unfrozen. And he also pointed out in his own report that work was done urgently at the time and was being done between the government and law enforcement bodies and banks to ensure that there was a process in place to unfreeze the accounts. So. All of that was happening. This like, it strikes me that this is, it's like a new face to totalitarianism. Like, because you have this like really soft-spoken kind of docile woman 
who speaks in a way that you would imagine, I don't know, like a college professor or something talking, but like the, the content of the words that they're using are better suited for some sort of rant from Adolf Hitler or Stalin. Like that's, that's the tone that we ought to be getting from these people. But she's just like, we're very pleased that, uh, you know, Rouleau uh, concluded that we, we had given a process by which the people could unfreeze their money. It's like, wait, 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 freeze their money. You froze their money. We're just going to like fucking breeze over that. You froze innocent, upsetting, patriotic people's assets. You kept their fucking country locked down for two years. You forced them to go into hotels for weeks every time they returned home unless they were, you know, provided evidence of what existed with inside their body, whether or not they had gotten a vaccine shot. You're fucking tyrants of the highest order. Ugh. As the prime minister said, in the very horrible event that this ever has to happen again. Ooh. In the very horrible event that this ever has to happen again. They're telling you, Canada, they're coming back. This is, this is never going away. You have a government that has done evil to you and they have gotten away with it. And look at these people's faces. Look at these fucking pieces of shit's faces. They salivate at the idea of doing it to you again. For sure. There are some lessons for us. Thank you. <laughs> for sure. There are some lessons for us. For sure. Yeah, for sure there are some lessons for all of us, Christia. Number one, people of your ilk belong nowhere near the reins of power. You're fucking evil, tyrannical monsters. And worse than all of that, you, you have some sort of in superhuman capacity to justify you're evil. To believe that you're the good guys. It's it's hard for me to wrap my head around, but I think that most of them do. I think that most of them do. And you will never get a human being that can create greater evil than someone with moral certitude that's unfounded. And these people have moral certitude of the highest order. I mean, Trudeau goes around his country just getting called a fucking scumbag tyrant piece of shit all over the place and he's still so he's so confident in who he is and they think that everybody that hates them is just some some rube some science denying climate change denying idiot that's what they think of their 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 detractors that's what they think of us they bother me Oh my God, they bother me so much. Anyways, uh, Canada, prayers up, fellas, <laughs> ladies, you Canucks. <laughs> You're going to have a really hard time with that one. Look, I am struggling to justify still living in America. But if I lived in Canada, I would be the fuck out of there. There is no saving that place. I am so sorry. I love you guys. I really do. But anything you can do, uh, marry an American immediately.
get the hell out. Get a green card. Let's go. <laughs> it's called from Nuance Bros. Is the most basement in, in Australia was apparently arrested for having the coolest secret bunker full of guns, John Wick. So, uh, the reason I bring it up is because I just want to show you like there are some awesome savages that still live in Australia, and Australia Australians have been dealing with much of the similar treatment as Canadians over the past three years. So, uh, glad to see that there's still one base lunatic that lives there. But man, he needs to get out too. Check out this bunker. I'm so jealous. Just a couch at a place in the suburbs. No, not by a long shot. Oh, wow. The police reaction. Seeing the secret entrance revealed to a gun lover's treasure trove. Officers finding a range of weapons at the property, handguns, shotguns, more than a thousand rounds of ammunition, plus a workbench equipped to modify firearms. I love, I love that this guy's got like dozens of guns, but he's only got a thousand rounds of ammunition. Like... Step your game up, homie. Even an underground shooting range, complete with pulley system to set the target. <laughs> That's an underground shooting range. He is ready for Walking Dead lifestyle. Mad Max, here we come. A bunker, an underground shooting range, an arsenal of high-powered firearms right in suburban Perth. It's just incredible. The stash. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's incredible, but like incredibly good, incredibly awesome. Like, incredibly, this dude should have a holiday named after him. Also included a 50 caliber rifle with ammo, a weapon designed to penetrate armored vehicles. Based. Even buildings. We also found a suppressor, uh, suppressors, which are like a silencer. That's illegal. Um, body armor. Ooh. <laughs> a suppressor. Ooh. And then body armor. Ooh. It's like, yeah, this is like basic American fare. Maybe not the suppressor, but certainly body armor. Illegal. Unsecured ammunition and unlicensed ammunition, illegal. Across Australia. You hear that? You hear that, America? Unlicensed ammunition? Imagine imagine if we had to fucking get licenses for our ammunition. God, that'd be horrific. It's the fear of police that guns like these can and do end up in criminal hands. My heart sinks every time I see a firearms burglary where... More than 10, sometimes 20 and 30 firearms are being taken from a house. The bunker builder there in the orange shirt, former... Do you think that Homeboy isn't, like, keeping these guns secure enough underneath his couch in a locked safe in a basement that no one knew about until you ruined his life for no reason? Yeah, I don't think that these were in danger of slipping into criminals' hands until you, the actual criminals, took them from him! A professional fighter, David Iceman Letizia, pleading guilty to several firearms charges. He was fined just over $3,000 with the weapons destroyed. Oh. He's also been charged with building it without council approval. <laughs> He's also being fined for doing it without a permit. Oh, you think he was going to get a permit for his secret under-the-couch arsenal? No, I don't think so. David Iceman Letizia, if you if you get sent this clip, I want you on the show. You're awesome, and I'm so sorry that you live in a country that doesn't appreciate or respect freedom. Migrate here, brother. We need more people like you. Man, what a cool guy. <laughs> what a cool guy. I, I mean, when I see stories like that, I'm like, man, I really got to step my game up. But I live in a condo, so like, I can't even have a basement i can't have some hideaway mm, i'm gonna have to go buy a house in the woods oh uh, god i love i love stories like that i mean i don't love the stories like that in the sense that like this dude's being harassed and his beautiful priceless arsenal was destroyed for no reason 
Um, but I just love it that there's still like people out there that live like that. Like, I know that's they're supposed to be like the dangerous conspiracy theory types, uh, conspiracy theorist types that have to be looked after by the government. Like, like you know, watch them like a hawk. These dangerous people. But these are the people that like you definitely want to be neighbors with. <laughs> like that guy's awesome. Great compilation reel that was put together by Milk Bar TV. You can check them out. It's at the Milk Bar TV. Here we go. This is uh, Zelensky and his backstory. Fascinating. I knew most of this, but I've never seen it compiled in such a eloquent fashion. Enjoy. Vasily Petrovich Golobarotka. No. Доброе утро, господин президент. Vladimir Zelensky is both the Ryan Seacrest and the Julia Louis-Dreyfus of Ukraine. A former actor and comedian. Now the unlikely front-runner in this week's presidential election. Yes. Why are you doing this? Why not? Why not? This is my profession. Now, life is imitating art. Of this series, which was called The Servant of the People. In the show, Zelensky's character was also an everyday man who rose to the country's highest office. We have it. That will follow Sean Penn heading him handing him his Academy Award or or Oscar, I think it was. Um <laughs> so this dude basically was the star of Ukrainian Ukraine the Ukrainian version of Veep, if you've ever watched it. Great show, by the way, hilarious. Um, where he's just some every man who becomes the president of Ukraine. And then he's an actor in that role who becomes the president of Ukraine in this incredibly scripted conflict that's transpired between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, and you have all of these American actors flying out to kiss his fucking ass because he is them. <laughs> he's just some actor. And so anyways, I just wanted to pause it briefly because I love the, the idea of Sean Penn handing him an Oscar for like best performance in World War Three. Ah, action. When it comes to your policies, what are you actually going to do for this country? Problem, yes, of this scandal in the defense ministry, for a dozen high-ranking Ukrainian officials who are stealing U.S. aid money. Zelensky has also signed a decree that combines all national TV channels into one platform. Clearly, a very crude uh, kickback-type uh, scandal. Citing the importance of a unified information policy. Equivalent to all of the money donated by Ukrainian citizens for um, uh, feeding and supplying the armed forces. So he, he runs on stopping the, the shelling of Donbass, or he calls it the war in Donbass, but he runs on that. He then gets into power and right sector, or uh, I always forget their name. You know who I'm talking about. The the Nazis, <laughs> whatever they're called. Um, it, it appears like they, they get in his ear somehow, or maybe they blackmail or coerce him or something. And it ends up that, yeah, maybe not stopping that conflict so soon. That's the catalyst for uh, Russia 
then taking that area and then the whole war breaks out from there. So I don't know, just a remarkable story. I apologize for some of this being in Ukrainian, but got to do what I got to do. Ram is a peace candidate. We have to do all the steps to finish this horrible war. Says we need to launch preemptive strikes so that they know what will happen to them if they use it and not vice versa. With full peace negotiations with Russia in many years, life is being threatened literally by crazy fascist movements in Azov Battalion. That's who I was thinking of. People don't know that the CIA got in bed with the right-wing Nazis in Ukraine to overthrow the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2014. President Zelensky has suspended 11 political parties. They claim have links to Russia, and notably not the ultranationalist linked to neo-Nazis <laughs> parties. Those ones are still good to go. Ukraine kept shelling the Donbass, which are the Russian speakers in the eastern part. I've been very leery of the Shame. like Zelensky hero narrative. Zelensky himself is a very dark force. Banned a Christian faith in his country and arrested nuns and priests. Draft law on making it impossible for religious organizations affiliated with centers of influence in the Russian Federation to operate in Ukraine. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. What should NATO do? They can use nuclear weapons on Russia, the trip but what is important? President Biden took to Kiev, as many of you reported on, was, it was brave. Many of you talked about how you heard the, the sirens wailing. Yes, I can hear the siren. What, what should we do? Nothing. I've been here for the past five days. I have not heard any explosions. I have not heard any air sirens until about half an hour ago, right when uh, President Biden was in the center of Kiev. So here you have the Temkin air raid sirens, just the touch required in this, the most tightly scripted, most completely dishonest war in history. Oh, God. Oh, God. All right. So what you have there is a fantastic three minute breakdown of how he came to power running as a peace candidate not bringing peace allowing his country to be divided upon itself and then allowing russia to have justification to come in and defend the the russian speakers uh and then you have you know hard evidence that he has banned uh and seized the property of christians he's uh, consolidated news media into state-owned enterprises he's also banned uh, the vast majority of competing political parties. Uh, and yet we have to fund and arm them endlessly to defend democracy. Does that sound like democracy to you? Look, I know I made this point a lot of times, but I mean, Jesus Christ, it's so, it's so obvious. It's so obvious that we're not defending a democratic nation. And, uh, and we're certainly not defending a uncorrupt nation, maybe the most corrupt. Don't believe me. Just read the New York Times from any time 2010 to 2020, and you will have them confirming it for you. But just like that, just like that, you can have the, the script flip and the narrative shift, and everyone in lockstep will just lie. They'll just lie through their teeth about what this nation actually consists of. And don't get it twisted. Yeah, there's uh, hard right 
you know, nationalist movement that exists within Ukraine. The vast majority of the Ukrainian people, I'm certain, are not like that. The vast, vast majority. So I still have a lot of sympathy for the people that live there. And uh, I just don't want to have World War III or nuclear war to defend the government that rules over them or the Azov Battalion that serves as, you know, one of their most fierce militaristic arms. It's insane. It's insane that like you have the left of all people, the people that have just been flipping out about Nazism, Nazism, um, and you know, nationalistic, nationalistic white supremacist movements in America. And they're the most outspoken in defense of Ukraine. The most, the most, which I mean, if it's, if we're being honest, it just tells you these people either they have no principles by which they stand on or they're idiots. And I think it's a mix of both. I think they're both idiots that lacking that are completely lacking in principles. Uh, we got to get a little bit more from Kanakoa. This guy is just crushing it. Absolutely crushing it on uh, shredding the narrative about Ukraine. And this is from a documentary about uh, Crimea in 2014, the referendum where 97% voted for integration with Russia. But the UN deemed it invalid and Ukraine's far-right militias began blockades of food and water to the Russian-speaking peninsula. Did you know that Ukraine built a dam in 2014 blocking 85% of Crimea's fresh water? Pretty, pretty humanitarian of them, huh? This documentary is all in French, so I'm going to have to read it to you as we go let's first meet the militants from the far from the right sector we're 800 kilometers south of kiev the revolution ended 18 months ago these militiamen just took control of the border between ukraine and crimea your truck loaded you have the right to ask we can call the police if you want Come on, show us the vehicle registration. Plus aucun camion de Food trucks can no longer cross the border. Des centaines de vehicles Hundreds of vehicles are stuck here on dozens of kilometers. kilometers. The right sector took up itself to starve Crimea. La Crimée est une péninsule My, au sud Crimea de l'Ukraine. Crimea is a peninsula. Elle Most of its population is Russian after the Ukrainian Après revolution. La revolution ukrainienne, the inhabitants voted massively in a referendum to join Russia. The population has massively voted by referendum its allegiance to Russia. Yeah, so right sector didn't really like so much that Crimea wanted to be a part of Russia. And uh, they made it not so basically they ruined their lives so there's just so much to this story and the reason i just kind of sprinkle it in here and there is because i don't want to do entire episodes dedicated to it um but it's just really important that there be some effort to counter the existing narrative that is completely uniform across all media uh that this is some like just healthy functioning democracy that Russia invaded for no reason at all. It's like, come on, man. Come on. Imagine imagine for a second had, say, Tijuana been immigrated to by millions of... Actually, no, this is a better example would be, say, San Diego, which is right on the border of Mexico. There had been some, uh, you know, revolution 
50 years ago and San Diego became part of Mexico, but they still had English speaking Americans that are now part of Mexico. And then Mexico City starts shelling the hell out of San Diego and San Diego votes in a referendum to say, we want to go back to being part of America. This is not working out. Now, you may say, okay, I don't want to have the U.S. allowing them back in. Uh, you may say the U.S. has no right to invade sovereign Mexico to defend the San Diegans that are being shelled for eight years. Um, but at least you would admit there's something deeply fucked up about what's happening, right? And you'd say like, all right, this is like, I, I don't really want to go to war with Mexico to defend San Diego. But, like, if America were to do it, you also would be like, well, that's not totally unjustified. There's, it's not totally irrational. This isn't the act of a, of a, a madman dead set on conquest of all of Latin America. But that's the arguments that they make for Putin. You get it now? Does it make any sense now? I hope so. I hope that helped. Uh, and before we get into the interview, let's uh, do one more clip. This is uh, Dr. Martin uh, Malari. He uh, he was actually on Tucker Carlson tonight. I just watched it. But this is a interview. He's also sitting next to Dr. Martin Kaldorf and Jay Bhattacharya. This is a tweet from Robert Malone. He says, mic drop, Fauci cover up. WIV is the source. And... I know if you've been listening long enough, you already know what WIV is. That is the Wuhan Institute you, of Virology. The reason this is even an issue is that it's embarrassing we funded the lab. If we had not funded the lab, 100% of Americans would say this is obvious. This is a no-brainer. The epicenter of the world is five miles from one of the only high-level virology labs in China. The doctors initially were arrested and forced to sign uh, non-disclosure gag documents. The lab reports have been destroyed. They've not been turned over. The sequences reported from the lab to the NIH database were deleted by a request from Chinese scientists that called over early on and said, delete those sequences we put in the database. And two leading virologists, maybe the two um, top virologists in the United States, Dr. Michael Farzan from Scripps and Dr. Robert Gary from Tulane told Dr. Fauci on his emergency call in January of 2020 when he was scrambling soon after learning that the NIH was funding the lab, they both said that it was likely from the lab. Both scientists changed their tunes days later in the media and then both scientists received $9 million subsequent in funding from the NIH. It's a no-brainer that it came from the lab. I mean, at this point, it's impossible to acquire any more information. And if you did, it would only be affirmative. <laughs> I had never heard the part about the two doctors that changed their story and then immediately got $9 million for funding of their, their research projects. But this is the whole issue with having a, like the, a, a king that sits on top of the purse strings of all, you know, not all, but the vast majority of funding for scientific research in America. And that is the role that Anthony Fauci had. And I don't think people have talked about that enough. Like this guy is the, you know, NIH, NIAID, uh, you know, 
puppet master. He he basically had at his disposal billions of dollars that he was able to deploy to those that would, you know, meet his narrative demands, and that's what he got, and it it enabled him to, in my opinion, cover up what he had done, and what he had done was fund dangerous gain of function research within the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was then uh, leaked either intentionally or accidentally into Wuhan, and then dispersed across the globe. Uh, by the way, I, I was trying to justify in my last episode why I believe that it, it's probable um, that it was intentional. And and the reason that I didn't mention that I should have is that why, if this is a bioweapon or even just a, a low-level um, you know, function-gained uh, coronavirus, why would China who is doing the research, granted, they're doing it in their lab, but with the funding of America, uh, why would they release it on themselves? And that, that to me, is the most damning evidence that if it were an intentional leak, it was probably not China that did it. Because if you were going to do it, you would probably already have, like if this is actually biowarfare is what we're talking about, if that's actually what this was, was biowarfare, why would China not have the their own population inoculated to it like if you're going to release it amongst your own people you certainly would want them to be inoculated they weren't and they put them into some of the harshest lockdowns because i think that they knew that this was a engineered virus and that they were very concerned about the consequences of the release um i also think that the reason that they didn't disclose or blow the whistle on what transpired right away is because I think they probably understood that America was, I mean, certainly they understood that, that the U.S. was involved in the funding of that research, and they probably were scrambling to figure out, you know, was it an accident or did the U.S. do this intentionally? Because it's like, how easy would it be for the U.S. through all of their cutouts, um, NIH and EcoHealth, to instruct some scientists there to pay them $10 million off the books to just be like, hey, take this thing outside of the outside of the lab, right? <laughs> like, is that impossible? <laughs> Certainly not impossible. Um, so, whether it was accidental or intentional, I say that if it were intentional, it was probably the U.S. that did it intentionally because I don't understand why the Chinese government would release it into its own population first. That doesn't make any sense to me. Just a little Occam's razor involved with conspiracy theorizing for your digestion and consideration. Anyways, enjoy the interview. It's a fantastic one. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And if you want to pick up a shirt, go to toplobster.com. Become a walking billboard. Let people know. And while you're here, make sure you hit that like, comment, and subscribe button. Appreciate you. Enjoy the interview. If you've been putting your life on autopilot and you've been traveling in a UFO, well then, you're very likely to land somewhere in New Mexico and create a conspiracy theory that lasts decades. Don't do that. Take control of your life, and now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. We all know that the system isn't working, but thanks to CrowdHealth, we can do something about it. CrowdHealth puts your healthcare back in your hands, cuts out the middleman, save money, and fund your healthcare costs without relying on big government or big insurance. CrowdHealth puts the community back in community healthcare. You pay one loan monthly total to fund your account. Your monthly subscription helps fund healthcare costs of the entire CrowdHealth community. And unlike insurance, there are no doctor networks, so you can see any doctor you want. How cool is that? 
So how does health, uh, how does crowd health be beat insurance? Simple by totally reversing the vicious incentives that got us into this mess in the first place. Crowd health provides true peace of mind, something insurance companies don't seem to care about. And unlike insurance companies, crowd health helps you find great care at a fair price, always pays doctors as quickly as possible and actively negotiates to keep costs down for everyone. What a novel concept. Take charge of your healthcare today with crowd health. And for a limited time, join for just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. Crowd health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. Today, I'm joined by Bill Burns. He's the author of UFOs in the White House. This is Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. Thank you guys so much for tuning back in. Bill, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Clint, for inviting me. Yeah, well, hey, uh, I get I get uh, guest offers sometimes, and if they intrigue me enough, I'm like, let's do this. And UFOs in the White House, I don't know how you don't get intrigued by that. So uh, let's start there. What what inspired the work and, and kind of give me like the, the broad parameters of what you've been looking into? Well, the broad parameters were this. We know all the way back from before, way before World War II, that there were all these strange reports of <clears throat> flying saucers, UFOs, flying orbs, strange figures interacting with our presidents. All the way back from, believe it or not, George Washington at the, um, at the winter at Valley Forge. He was the first president to see a UFO. Well, he was, he was a general at that point. He wasn't president, but the first person to become president to ever see a UFO and the first president ever to see a ghost. That was George Washington. And I was so fascinated because this didn't come from some third hand source. This didn't come from some um, conspiracy theorist writer making stuff up. The story of George Washington's UFO sighting at Valley Forge came from George Washington. He Was wrote it a personal diary? It. He wrote about it in his diary, which I printed, by the way, in UFOs in the White House. Folks can read it. But he printed it in his diary. And when he came back from that clearing where he saw the UFO, he told his, his staff at Valley Forge. <clears throat> and believe it or not, 60 years later, a very young staff member at Valley Forge wrote about it in the Army newspaper, Stars and Stripes. Wow. If you don't mind, uh, little details on on what Mr. Washington, President Washington, what he, uh, he thought he had seen. Here's what he saw. Remember at Valley Forge, the British had occupied Philadelphia and the British had occupied New York. So this was after the Battle of Trenton, and then after the battle, they ran across New Jersey, but they could never dislodge the British from Philadelphia. Washington's troops were farmers. These are not professional soldiers. They were farmers, Minutemen pulled right off their small farms. They lost their crops that fall because they were fighting a war. So, the, so they had no money, no clothing, their feet were wrapped in gauze. There was very little food. And quite frankly, they were saying, why are we doing this? Let's go home. Let's try to redo our crops 
and let's not worry about the British. They're not hurting us anyway. Washington was so disconsolate, so miserable, he goes out into the woods to pray. There in the woods, he sees a glowing orb coming down from the treetops. He's fascinated by it. Out of the orb, Washington writes, he sees these little green creatures. He thinks they're leprechauns or, or fairies or, or, or like otherworldly creatures. They're actually aliens. He sees them jump out of the orb. Then he sees a figure garbed in white. He sees a figure garbed in white. And this figure, and th what this figure does is this figure points out how Washington's army will win this war. Which battle he wins, which battle to avoid. No shit. It's a map of the entire war, at the end of which this figure says, you will have a great nation and describes the history of the United States. So <laughs> all time, and Washington is so impressed, he goes back to his tent and writes the whole thing down on his journal. That's astonishing. Uh, has that has that uh, journal entry been verified? Like, has his uh, handwriting been authenticated? Do you know? I'm just curious. Yes. And what happened was the person who was on his staff verified what was in his journal. No shit. That's unbelievable, man. Wow. Um, all right. So the you you tell in your in your book about a, a, a litany of presidents that uh, have encountered or you know had all sorts of different engagements with ufos uh i think is, is there anything that that goes beyond that into i mean obviously george washington our first president is saying that he actually saw the little green men is there any other presidents that have claimed anything close to that level of oh my god you know, um john f kennedy richard nixon ronald reagan jimmy carter i mean these are all presidents who have had very close contacts Harry Truman, very close contacts with UFOs. Um, the, uh, uh, the two most compelling are Ronald Reagan and John F. Kennedy. Hmm. Talk about Ronald Reagan for a second. Ronald Reagan, remember, in his last uh, television appearances, I mean, he was doing movies of the week, but his last series was Death Valley Days where he was the host and he's driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, which is a highway that runs all the way from Northern California, right down along the Western shore of the state, right by the water. Yeah, one of the most all beautiful all drives down, in, the, in the world. All the, way down to, all the way down to Orange County. While he's driving down, because he's going to attend a birthday party, a surprise birthday party for William Holden, at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. As he and Nancy Reagan are driving down Pacific Coast Highway, PCH, he sees a huge flying saucer come right over land, over his car, and float out over the Pacific and into the water. And mm -hmm. as it's passing over this car, Reagan, and this comes from Ronald Reagan himself, receives a message and the message is leave acting 
get into politics. <laughs> now, Ronald Reagan is dead. Did he ever make this statement publicly? You know who he told it to? Everybody at the party. He was, I mean, he was going crazy. You don't know what I saw right over PCH, a flying saucer. And here's what it told me. You know who told me about this? Lucille Ball. We love no Lucy. Yeah. And, and he told everybody Lucille Ball was walking around saying, I can't believe it. Sure enough, he runs for governor and wins. Now he's the president of the United States. Now he gets his first briefing from Casper Weinberger and, and his former, the former director of national intelligence, George W. George H. W. Bush. Mm -hmm. They tell him all about UFOs, what we knew from before World War II. What, uh, Reagan is, at this point, he's UFO crazy. So he meets uh, Gorbachev at <clears throat> Reykjavik, Iceland. And there he explains to Gorbachev what would happen if we were actually invaded by an alien race. He said, wouldn't our national borders just disappear? Why would we fight ourselves if aliens are coming? Then he goes to the United Nations and makes that very famous speech. If aliens came to planet Earth, wouldn't all our national borders disappear? He says that. But then the story gets even better. Remember the movie E.T. that Steven Spielberg made? Yeah, of course. They're filming it at the White House. And people are like, it's a whole group, it's a screening room. And they're laughing and they're talking. They love the movie. And while they're all talking after the movie's over, Ronald Reagan walks over to Steven Spielberg. Motions, come on over here. Nobody hears them. R Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan are standing with Spielberg and Ronald Reagan whispers in Spielberg's ear. Remember, they're all standing there. Nobody hears what they're talking about. He whispers in his ear, only you and I know what's on that screen isn't fiction. <laughs> wow. Then he says, to, then in a louder voice, he says to Stephen, why are there so many credits at the end of this movie? I don't understand. The credits are as long as the movie. Nancy Regan pipes up and goes, oh, Ronnie, that's how they do things nowadays. This isn't the 1940s. <laughs> Where did I get this story from? Steven Spielberg. Wow. So, I was wow. doing a book. Steven Spielberg was, is in the annals of filmdom. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And um, Steven Spielberg and uh, George Lucas are probably the two most brilliant filmmakers that we have now in terms of the history of film. Mm -hmm. One of the people that they both studied because he was a true genius was Jerry, the comedian Jerry Lewis. Mm -hmm. And so when I was writing a book about Jerry Lewis, I really, uh, since Steven Spielberg was in his class at USC on filmmaking, Jerry Lewis taught at USC. Uh, he was in his class. I just wanted to confirm that 
Jerry Lewis that um, Spielberg said that, that that he was in his class and he thought he was brilliant. And while we had his office on the phone, I said, by the way, here's this one story. And so his assistant said, he's right here. Oh, wow. And that's how I found out. That's fantastic. Well, that, I mean, before we get into the JFK tales, uh, what that what that leads me to you know wonder is, was that conversation between Reagan and Gorbachev and Reagan's experience with you know, UFOs, was that a catalyst for ending the Cold War? Oh, yes, because it was Reagan knowing that there was an alien presence in the world that could stand in front of the um, Berlin Wall and say, Mr. Gorbachev, take down this wall. Right. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, it just seems like a, a fair fair conclusion to leap to. And it has always disturbed me that we can't manage to see our fellow global compatriots as, you know, one, unless we have this extraterrestrial enemy to like band, band us together. But it seems as if that's kind of human nature. So as soon as you say that, like, okay, no, now we have a shared enemy that's bigger than our own beef between each other so we can now you know focus focus to the stars kind of kind of mentality that's exactly what reagan said okay yeah well i'm glad he did it it, it probably <laughs> prevented nuclear war well and 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 believe it or not the very people who told him about this the very folks who explained it to him did explain that nuclear war is on their radar because the sightings started, this interaction started at about the time that the United States was enriching uranium in 1945 to, um, for weapons to end World War II. Yep, yeah. And that's when they were all over the place. Yeah, that, that's been a, uh, a, you know, a thesis of mine, as well as many you know, UFO theorizers over the, the decades, is that Perhaps the the increase in alien or UFO sightings, uh, you know, it's it's coinciding with the advent of the nuclear age, uh, seems to make a lot of sense. And and in some ways, it it makes me hopeful that perhaps these are, you know, benevolent creatures as opposed to malevolent. That they're in fact interested in in keeping us from killing ourselves. Uh, there's been stories or at least rumors of uh, nuclear firing mechanisms being shut off by ufos uh is that anything that you've looked into and is there any credence yes. to it yeah i have and and the story is this go back all the way to the 1960s and you're at, uh maelstrom air force base um up in north up up in montana <clears throat> and minot i think minot's in north dakota and According to one of the missile control officers at Malmsten Air Force Base, one night in the 60s, I think it was 1966, one night this huge red light is hovering. Remember, these launch controls and missile facilities are all underground. And so above ground, they're patrolled by security forces, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so the security forces at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Malmstrom Air Force Base, look up and they see this giant red light. 
giant red light and it's hovering it's not moving it's not rising descending it's just hovering and the launch control officer this guy named he was an air force captain named robert salas his board goes dark hmm. and the light on the board says his missiles are in a no-go mm-hmm. mode which means you can't launch them so it's not as though there's a radio control between the launch controls and the missile systems it's all one system and it's hardwired it's cabled together so mm-hmm. nobody can hack into it or you have to actually physically penetrate the wire right whatever that object was it physically interrupted the current in the wire to shut the entire missile facility down pretty powerful stuff very powerful yeah finally the light disappears the missiles come back the Mm -hmm. message is very clear if we want to we can shut your missiles down in russia in the soviet union 20 years later this is what happened same type of light appears and the russian missiles soviet missiles go hot suddenly the launch controls are on the missiles begin fueling and the launch codes are entered the launch controllers for the soviets are 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 in a panic who's controlling our missiles we're not they realize where the missiles are going these are intercontinental nuclear tipped ballistic missiles now they are armed and they're headed for the united states wow they call moscow center i mean they are you're talking about a panic we have no control over our missiles and the countdown has started moscow center tries to control them can't can't get in finally at the last possible second it shuts down no shit go dark they don't launch the message is very clear if we want to we can launch them if we want to we can stop them wow that is that's astonishing what what year was that that was in about 86. oh my god when i was a little kid like baby practically that's horrifying i mean uh, what, what's your take? Uh, I mean, you've studied this a lot. Is Do you think that they're malevolent or benevolent? I don't think they're either. What mm. I think they are is us. Avi mm. Loeb, Avi Loeb, who is um, at Harvard, at the Harvard-Smithsonian, theorized that someday we will go out into the universe and we will meet other life forms. And I will bet that's going to happen sometime this century hmm. and when we meet other life forms you know what the shock is going to be we're going to meet human beings oh interesting there's a theory by the two scientists who discovered dna crick and watson mm-hmm. and their theory is that dna can survive in space mm. bacteria can survive in space viruses can survive in space the picture should be coming clearer mm-hmm. that earth is bombarded by viruses every single day i mean if you did a, if, if 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 you went to get your blood tested 
and you want to know how many viruses are in your body, the results would be hundreds of thousands of viruses, overwhelmingly benign, mm -hmm. but some are. And some viruses helped in the evolution of life on this planet. Mm. I will bet you that viruses that have been coming down on this planet for years have helped evolve life. And that is how life started here. And that is how life improved here. And you know, oh, that's a heck of a theory, brother. I love it. I love it. So, <clears throat> so do you think that it's, it's ourselves that are essentially seeding additional, you know, rocks to then produce more of us? That's what I believe. I believe that, first of all, we are not the first civilization on this planet. Mm -hmm. This planet's been around for 3.5 billion years. Hominids have only been around for, let's say, 200,000 years. Mm -hmm. We think. Right. But read the Bible. What do you see in the Bible? There was a whole civilization before this, Noah's flood. Mm -hmm. If you look at ancient poetry, look at the story of Atlantis. Long before our current civilization, there was, there was Atlantis, which was destroyed by a great flood. Noah's civilization was destroyed by a great flood. Right. In the uh, Sumerian poem Gilgamesh, there was a great flood that destroyed it. In fact, geologically, we have determined that at one point in Earth's prehistory, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea flowed into each other. Mm. So there was at least one civilization before this. And then in Turkey, there are a set of runes. In Gobekli Tepe, right? It's Gobekli Tepe. Yeah. It's Gobekli Tepe. And these are 10,000 year old runes. Remember civilization that could build something like that didn't exist 10,000 years ago, we think. Right. And what's on the walls of that temple? It says, this was built by the elders. The elders, it's 10,000 years old and there are people before <laughs> that from 10,000 right. years earlier. That's my point. So yeah. there was at least one that we know of, could possibly more. Yeah, yeah. Well, other civilizations. Uh, yeah, grand. And, oh, go ahead. But look at what this tells you. When is our civilization going to pass away? Mm. The planet's on fire. The planet is flooding. There are dreadful weather events. The ice at, at the poles is melting. We know that now. We now also know that traditional seasons are pushed three weeks back because the planet is tilting on its axis. Mm. So as the Amazon is destroyed, the Amazon forest is destroyed, that's the lungs of the planet we're slowly gonna run out of oxygen and the planet's gonna burn up and it's gonna flood. What is gonna protect us? That is why I think we're gonna be seeing more and more disclosure events coming up as it looks like the soil on this planet will not be able to sustain agricultural production, let's say 50 years from now. Hmm. We've destroyed the soil. Modern civilizations tend to destroy the planets they're on. That is why our colonial overlords salted the 
um, habitable planets with their own DNA. And it's still happening. Remember those two comets, Oumuamua and Borisov, that mm -hmm. came spinning through our solar system in orbits that made no sense whatsoever? Yeah. yeah. Avi Loeb at Harvard suggests they are not regular comets, but comets, asteroids that have been turned into lawn sprinklers. They're sprinkling water on habitable planets, thinking maybe they will take. That's how colonization happens. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the listeners that aren't familiar, I'm sure you are, but uh, Graham Hancock has popularized this theory big time with the younger, younger Dryas. I mean, there's other, you know, scholars and historians that have looked into this too, but uh, that there was a cataclysmic event that happened sometime around 12,000 years ago, I believe. And, uh, and that's what created the flood. Most people think that it was an asteroid or a meteor or something like that. Um, and it seems as if you, you tend to believe that's the case too. I, I actually believe it. Uh, his, I do. I yeah. do. And, and look, this is the sixth extinction. We are living right now in the sixth extinction of life on this planet. Hmm. The sixth extinction of life. Every 20 seconds, another species, I mean, m mainly insects, but goes extinct. Sure. And, and, and think about it. With COVID, with some of the new variations of the flu that, uh, that are going to hit us, this time it could be us. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what's interesting to me though is like, if we have these overlords that are seeding these planets to continue to keep their their races alive or our our race alive, I guess you sh should say, um, why are they not? If they're that advanced, why aren't they capable of of I don't know genetically modifying us to get us to coexist and not nuke each other and not destroy the planet? They are. Um. Instead of thinking about, oh, vaccines are terrible, vaccines are this, vaccines are that, what if the whole point, think bigger, what if the whole point of these mass viruses, of these pandemics, is to get us to vaccinate ourselves? What if that is how the race is evolving? Hmm. What if long COVID is part of the evolutionary process? Right. In other words, instead of coming down like it's the war of the worlds, wouldn't we use natural forces to help shape the planet? A natural force would be viruses, yeah. pandemics. Yeah, makes sense. That's interesting. Um, well, let, let's hop into the JFK uh, files here. Well, what's, uh, what was his experience? The JFK story is fascinating, and I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't involve just JFK. The story is so intense that it goes all the way to involve Barack and Michelle Obama. Wow. How? I'll tell you how. You know that the Obamas have a deal with Netflix. Mm -hmm. They made this deal to produce um, television for Netflix. One television show they're looking to produce, this is in the Hollywood Reporter, what they're looking to produce is the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Now, if you parse the story, here's what it is. In 1961, before 
the Supreme Court in Loving versus Virginia prohibited any laws, struck down any laws against interracial marriage. Interracial marriage in some states, like Virginia, was prohibited in the early, it was prohibited in the early 1960s. Mm -hmm. The Hills, this is their second marriage. This was an interracial marriage. And um, in 1961, remember, this was at the height of the civil rights movement was beginning, right? There were demonstrations in Birmingham. There were the segregation debates. They decide to take a break. Too much violence. So they drive up to Canada for a vacation. They're in New Hampshire. And they drive up to Canada for a vacation. On the way back, they're driving along a dark road. This is 1961 now, the first year that Kennedy takes office. Driving along the road, and they see a light above the car. They say, it's strange light. You know, it's, it's not the moon. The moon's over there. What's this? And the light seems to be following them. And they say, you know, they stop at this place called Franconian Notch, which is like a ski thing up in New Hampshire. And they're looking and the light suddenly starts to descend. And they say, what? Do they see us? I mean, we see the light and suddenly they're thinking the light sees us. Mm -hmm. They get in the car. They say, let's get the hell out of here. Get in the car. They start driving. They go off on some dirt road. The light is in front of the car, it stops the car. Next thing they know, they're being dragged into a clearing, into the woods, up a ramp, and they've lost all memory. Next thing they know, they're on a road leading up to their driveway. And they're looking at each other saying, whoa, what happened? Right. But they look down, it's like two hours have disappeared. Hey, wait a minute, where'd that time go? Well, Betty calls her sister the next day. Barney starts having all kinds of physical symptoms. To make long story short, they wind up with this psychiatrist who was a psychiatrist, Benjamin Simon, who dealt with um, shell shock, battle fatigue from World War II. Mm -hmm. Very famous guy. In fact, in the movie, um, who played him? Gregory Peck played him in the movie. So um, he regresses both the hills. And he hears this phenomenal story of how they're brought aboard a flying saucer. The uh, Betty Hill is tested. Uh, they grab her by her dress. They drag her in. Barney is tested. They, they extract sperm from Barney. That's why he's having this pain in his genitals. Um, Benjamin Simon, in the regression, tells him to forget. Don't talk to each other about it. But his transcriber transcribing from the tape recordings. Here's the story about an alien abduction. She goes crazy, um, it's unbelievable. She takes the transcripts that she wrote and she gives them to a reporter for the Boston Traveler magazine. This is a medical file that mm. she gives to her newspaper reporter. He gets crazy. He publishes this in, in, in the Boston newspapers. Suddenly, Look Magazine picks up the story, and there's this interracial couple claiming to be abducted by a UFO on the cover of Look Magazine at the beginning of Kennedy's administration. Right. Well, Kennedy is so crazy, he says, 
we have to go to the moon by the next by the end of the decade. That's why he says this. Okay, okay. <laughs> Meet the aliens. Gets worse. Now it's 1962, and both Jack Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy are having affairs with Marilyn Monroe. In the pillow talk that JFK gives to Marilyn Monroe, he tells her about the secret air base in Nevada and the things from outer space they keep at the air base. And then he says, there are little men from outer space running around the air base. Well, Marilyn Monroe gets so crazy, she calls Bobby Kennedy and says, I'm going to the newspapers with this story. <laughs> but the Justice Department phone is tapped. Her phone is tapped by J. Edgar Hoover. So suddenly oh there's a transcript of Marilyn Monroe's threat to Bobby Kennedy. So is that why she's not with now us? Now the CIA knows that Jack Kennedy is telling our nation's closest held secrets to Marilyn Monroe in pillow talk. Marilyn Monroe is murdered that fall. Mm. The, next, the next year, Kennedy's assassinated. And that's how the kill story and UFOs ended up in the assassination of JFK. Holy shit. All right. Well, <laughs> you weren't lying. That's a great story. Um, man. All right. So uh, why is it that if they are, if they're so ever present, they haven't attacked us. Um, you know, your, your thesis being that they why are. Would you attack, yeah, why would you attack your own children? Right. That they are us essentially. Why is it that the American government and governments more broadly, globally, are so hesitant to tell the American people or the global population about it. What if Joe Biden, what if Joe Biden got up at the White House and said, look, time's up, folks. Um, I got to tell you the truth. What we've been dealing with now since 1947 in Roswell, that's been a cover-up. It is. It's a cover-up. The truth is this. You know the story in the Bible? Yeah. We were really populated by a race of extraterrestrials who were us. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, that's and true. Those abductions, they just want to know what we're doing. So, yeah, everything you heard about religion and world governments, you know, for, forget about it. You're a colony. <laughs> All right, you're, no, you're, uh, you're point well taken. The Amer the global population would not handle that well. However, why why can they leave that aside and just say? We are being visited by extraterrestrial life forms. We do have some information as to what they're here for. There's no reason for concern. They've been with us for a long time. You know, just something like that. Why, why is it so important that they, you know, bury it? You're Steve Ducey and you are Caitlin Collins and you are Maggie Haberman. Okay, and, I'm ready. Right? And the president has just made that announcement. Can you imagine the screams? into the pulpit when the president says that oh i would you have some follow-up questions all the all the foil requests for the air force all the foil requests for the navy right i mean suddenly we realize and and what if there's what if there's a deeper secret i mean we're we're talking about things that are very mundane i mean at least in terms of ancient aliens very mundane but what if the stories of ancient aliens now we know they're true hmm. What if, why would we adhere to governments and laws if we're just a colony of um, a space race? Right. Right? Well, I like it. Let's not, let's not adhere. 
mean, but I'm, if, I, I'm a libertarian, fact, though, so that sounds not, good. What if they're not coming here? Mm. What if they are here? Mm. Mm -hmm. What if they are here, they are us, and they have abilities that we have not yet learned to use, such as mind reading, mm -hmm. such mm -hmm. as mental influencing, such as the telekinesis, mm -hmm. such as, wait for it, time travel. Mm. All right. What if suddenly we on this planet are exposed to powers that we have but mm. don't know how to use? Mm -hmm. We would destroy ourselves within a month. <laughs> okay, okay. That's fair. I mean, God, that's what an what an interesting conundrum. So what if say that that you're right and that the the American government does understand these things perhaps it's filled with people that are these things what is it that why are they still doing these internecine wars between you know china and the us or russia and the us like why are we not able to have a more peaceful existence given that we now under they understand you that's that's the claim at least that they understand what we're actually up against which is this overwatch type situation and like we really shouldn't be fighting with one another why why can't they do that that's where it's going i mean that's okay. that's where i mean one of the things that i think one of on a larger scale on 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 a human let's say psychological philosophical scale what if part of what's going on is human evolution that in order to survive on a planet where resources are limited, where resources can be destroyed, where the very act of civilization itself, I mean, think about this. When did a human civilization begin to affect the climate? Well, in the 19th century, in the late 18th century, early 19th century. How? Steam engines, electricity, of uh, the power grid, um, oil, all the things that make society industrialized and function are detrimental to the long-term um, health of the planet. So maybe that is an evolutionary phase you have to go through. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that same thing with war human beings are animals human beings have the same animal instincts that the animals have you know desmond morris wrote this fabulous book a thousand years ago called the naked ape in which he was explaining that humans are hominids that, that, uh, that we're still simians right um and that we're even though we are we don't have hair anymore right right <laughs> even though that's the case um we we are we still have the same instincts that our right. hominid uh, forefathers did. We're we're apes with rockets now. Yeah, we're <laughs> apes with rockets now. You know, we're beating well, our checks. Uh, we're beating our chest with uh, nuclear weapons. Well, I'll, I'll, I feel like we could do this for three hours, but I'm gonna I'm gonna cut the time short and just get you out of here on this. I wanted to know what you think because most people are at this point pretty convinced that the the shoot downs that happened over the past two weeks. Uh, with the the balloons, the static objects, the UFOs, 
that they were probably not that. And and I tend to believe that they weren't simply for the fact that I, if they were that, I don't believe that the U.S. government would be capable of shooting them down. Do you have a thesis or any inside information as to what they were? I agree with you 100% that if these were real UFOs, real objects, um, just like the 1950s. Remember 1952, they were the order to shoot down the UFOs over Washington. We couldn't do it. Right. Right. Remember 2011, 2017, the uh, UFOs over um, off the San Diego Naval Base. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get right. a radar lock. Mm -hmm. So um, how can we shoot down this balloon with a sidewinder missile and 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 uh, a claim it's extraterrestrial? No, um, I think there's politics involved. Me too. I think I think that um, nations have been using balloons. First of all, balloons have been used for intelligence gathering for 200 years. That's number one. The, the Chinese balloon was never meant to cross the United States. It was meant to be a Pacific balloon, but it was picked up by the wind. Mm. And it, 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 it had thrusters on it, propellers and thrusters on it, but the wind was too strong. We had to shoot it down. Why? Once it was traveling over continental United States, we don't know what intelligence it picked up. So we shot it down. But the other balloons... I mean, think about this. The other balloons, these are toy balloons, $25 balloons. We shot them down with a half million dollar missile. <laughs> a sidewinder missile shooting down a, a $25 balloon. Yeah. Doesn't make me very, very hopeful if we end up in World War III that we're going to prevail. If, no. we're, if we're doing dumb shit like that. Well, uh, Bill, you are a, a wealth of knowledge. He was the, uh, the lead host of History Channel's uh, UFO Hunters and also the publisher of UFO Magazine from 1998 through 2014. Thank you so much for joining us. Pick up his book, UFOs and the White House. Goodness gracious, Bill. Really appreciate the time. This was super interesting. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too, brother. Have a good one. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?